0: Ashley Up, my good friend Ash. She is going to share the word of the Lord. And I just want um, finally get to listen to the message even from two Sundays ago, just now getting that. Hank, it was so good. Thank you. I encourage all if y'all haven't heard, if you are not here, if you haven't listened, it's on podcast. Go listen. You'll be blessed. Um, I'll Yeah, it was so good, and I was sitting in my car crying as I was listening to the end and Ashley give testimony that I don't, I know we've talked about, but I don't know that I really remembered, but I was just boohing. So anyway, I always usually say the same thing about Ashley, and I know y'all know her now a lot better than probably in the beginning, but I just want to say she carries a gift of faith do not take that for granted because she has the gift of faith. Every time I'm with her in her presence, I leave filled with faith. I always leave feeling like I can do something or I'm going to behold something that the Lord has for me that I didn't otherwise, I might've been struggling with or I didn't otherwise feel. Literally like every time. And so if you'll just position your heart to receive that, I I promise i don't even have to say promise you will leave so anyway we just bless her um i just want to pray for her lord i thank you for ashley i just thank you for the gift that she is her heart father for you her heart to want to please you, and honor you, and all that she does, and all that she is, Lord. I thank you that she positions herself and makes room for you to just move through her and minister in however you desire. That's her heart, and that's always her um, position. And I just bless that in her, Lord. And we position our hearts to receive what you have for us through her today, Lord. And um, we just honor the gift that she is to this house. In Jesus' name, amen. I love, thank you. You. I love you, so much. Thank you.
1: Good morning. Thank you all so much. Um, well, I'm excited to be back this morning. Wow, I can't see anything. Is it better if I move back or forward? Does, it, it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. Oops, sorry. Okay. Um, well, uh, thank you again. I'm real excited to be here um, with y'all today and... Um, Gosh, I just have this feeling that um, I just want to tread really carefully. It's been such, like, just a holy morning, I think, starting with worship. Jason, you're just amazing, and I just love entering into the presence um, of the Lord that you take us every single time. And um, and then the covenant that we just had the opportunity to make with the Lord. Um, you know, I have this message prepared, and I know it's from the Lord, but I just, I don't know, I just want to... Um, just really be sensitive to what he's doing, um, as, um, it unfolds today. So, um, so today I want to talk with us about the plan that God has for us to engage our hearts to his fully. And I want to start actually with, um, an embarrassing story of mine <laughs> because why would I try to make myself look better than I am up here <laughs> um so back in um 2002 I'm from Ohio um I've lived there um, most of my life until I moved to Texas but um I was a junior in college at the Ohio State University, and um, it's a really large campus. At the time, there were like 60,000 students who would be there every fall. I don't know what statistically it is now. but because it was so large, um, it was you can imagine, parking was uh, minimal. And so for four years, I don't think I ever drove to my class. I always walked. I lived either on campus and walked or lived close enough to campus that I could walk. and so um, One morning, as I'd always done, I um, took off walking to class. And I was walking um, from the residential side of a really busy street called High Street um, to eventually cross the street to campus. And um, I get, I walk towards High Street, I get to it, and instead of just crossing over to campus, I actually turn to my left to reach a stoplight so I can cross more safely over. And as I turn to walk down High Street, I have to pass or cross over several side streets to get to the stoplight. And so typically this is not a problem because it's a very pedestrian friendly area. There's lots of walkers, as you can imagine. And so I turn to um, cross one of the side streets to get to the stoplight and I step off of the curb and I start walking across the side street. And all of a sudden I feel this like pressure um, against the side of my calf and like I don't know what's happening, but I know that as my heart rate starts to increase time starts to slow down significantly in that moment and before I know it, I realize that what I'm feeling against my leg is the bumper of a car. And I, before I know it, I have lost my balance, and I am flipped up on the top of the hood of a car. And mind you, I am like probably have on a huge coat, because it's always cold in Columbus, multiple layers of clothing, a backpack, and I know for certain that I have a Diet Mountain Dew in my hand, because that was my drink of choice in those days. <laughs> And I am flipped up now on top of the hood of this car with my, on my belly, with my hand pressed against the windshield, my nose almost touching the windshield, my Diet Mountain Dew in hand, and I am looking at the driver of the car and he is not looking at me. In fact, he has no idea that he has just hit someone and that person is now riding on the hood of his car. And as I said, time has slowed down to the point where it feels like probably five minutes, although it was probably more like 10 seconds. And all I can think to myself, looking at this man who is not looking at me is why are you looking at me? <laughs> look at me. And finally, after what seemed like an eternity of balancing my diet Mountain Dew and looking at this man in the face, he turns to look at me and I have never seen so many emotions contorted into one man's face in my entire life as his face, has his look of horror and shock and confusion as to, why there was someone riding on, his, on the hood of his car so of course he slams on his brakes I jump off as quickly as I can <laughs> I take off walking in the direction of my class and he can't he can't stop he's got to keep going with the flow of traffic but he goes around the block and he comes back and rolls down his window and says you know are you okay And my response to him as I'm walking as quickly as I can to class is, yes, I'm fine, I'm just really embarrassed right now and I just keep on walking. And so I've told that story a few times in my life since then, because A, it's not every day you get hit by a car and you're not hurt. And, but every time I I tell it, I think to myself, like, I was so embarrassed, but why was I embarrassed? Like, I did nothing wrong in that scenario. Like, I was just a pedestrian walking across the street as always, but in my mind, I was absolutely mortified and humiliated. For, for no reason. I mean, I thought to myself, like, Ashley, what are you embarrassed of? Like, your existence? Like, you could not have done anything differently in that moment. And I tell that story today because, actually, <laughs> the answer to that question is yes. For many years before and for many years after that moment, I wouldn't be able to label it or identify exactly what it was, but I would live in this innate state of just shame and embarrassment and humiliation multiple times in my life for seemingly no identifiable reason. And so I want, to take, or I want to go back to that story in a little bit and talk to you about the God's plan for my life in that area. But before I do, I want to take a look at the life of Moses, at least the early life of Moses. Because in those places in our lives where, um, where there's something that has um, attempted to either destroy us or have a lasting impact on our relationship with God or our connection with him or our love with him, um, God is always working out a plan for us to be fully restored and our hearts to be fully engaged back to his. And Moses is a great example of this because twice in his young life, the Pharaoh of Egypt wanted him dead. And both times the Lord had a plan, a divine plan for his restoration and, and rescue. And so the first one I want to talk about is at his very birth. He was born into a time when uh, Pharaoh, uh, king of Egypt, had issued a a sovereign death decree that all males born to Hebrew women at that time should be thrown into the Nile River to die. So he had this fear that the Hebrews were getting too powerful and too strong in an effort to keep them weak and keep them powerless. This was his plan of attack. But as we know, Moses' mother, um, God bless her, she was like, "That's not happening to my son," and she um, creates a plan for him to be rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, and he ends up living um, in the in the palace for his life for his, as he grows up. Well, I found it interesting as I was telling recently, I was just telling Rosie this very story, and I found it interesting that the very thing, this sever the sovereign death decree over. Uh, Moses' life that was supposed to be was supposed to destroy him upon birth before he ever had a chance to start eventually becomes the very way that God would rescue not even not only Moses but his entire people. Because if you remember the final plague of God that he um uh, pronounces or uh, brings to Egypt was also a sovereign death decree. That every firstborn in the land would die without the blood of the lamb on the door. And so I thought, Lord, this is just like you, and it always is, that you would use the very thing meant to destroy us yeah. to be the thing that you use to rescue us in the end. But this not only happened once, but it happened again to Moses. Because as you can remember, he grew up in the palace and one day he was looking outside and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and there was something that rose up within him. Reading this story, I thought, you know what? I bet that's probably just his the identity that God gave him for justice for his people rose up within him, but instead of waiting on the Lord and walking out, you know, the salvation of the Israelites and God's timing and God's plan, he takes it upon himself and he kills the Egyptian and he tries to hide it. But of course we know that it's not hidden and Pharaoh finds out and for the second time in his short life, he wants him dead. And so as a result of his sin, Moses takes off to Midian. And he hides out there for several years and he's, you know, gets married. He's created a life for himself and he finds himself on Mount Sinai. And this is where God shows up to him, and, to him um, in, the bur- in the burning bush. And he says, Moses, and he reveals his plan to Moses. Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, the place that you're running from, the place that you're hiding from. And I want you to rescue my people. And Moses, of course, is a little bit hesitant, thinking, you know, they're not going to believe me. Do you know what I did there? And God says, no, I want you to go and I'm going to be with you. And as a sign that I'm going, that I'm going with you, when you get, when, after you've rescued your people, I'm going to bring you back to this very place and you're going to worship me. And so for the second time in Moses' life, God uses the very place, or the very thing that was meant to destroy him, the place where he had run to from hiding or in an attempt to hide as the place of his restoration. And he says, this will no longer be the place where you hide from your sin and hide from your identity, but this will be the place that I bring you back to show you that I am with you and you will worship me here. And I just want to... suggest to you that what we see God doing in Moses' life is not unique to Moses, but he actually does this for us still today all the time. And I want to take a look at the promises that he's made to us in, um, I forgot to set my timer, I'm sorry, Um, that um, he made to us in Romans chapter 8. So if you'll turn there with me Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. And I just want to read through here, and I just want to look at um, what God promises in this uh, place of restoring our hearts and bringing us back to him. It says, in the same way that the spirit comes to us, this is the amplified version, and helps us in our weakness, we do not know what what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should. But the spirit himself knows our need and at the right time intercedes in our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because the spirit intercedes before God on behalf of God's people in accordance with God's will. And so I want to stop right there and point out um, the first, if you will, line of offense or a line line of uh, attack that the Lord is um, using to bring us back to himself. And that's that he, that the Holy Spirit himself is interceding on our behalf that God's will would be made manifest in our life. And he does it in ways that we ourselves couldn't even do it. It says with with groans and, um, um, what did it say? Sighs too deep for words. So in His sovereignty, He searches our hearts. He searches the will of God, and He intercedes that those things that God has planned for us would be would be uh, would happen in our life. That His will would be made manifest in our lives. And so we go to verse 28. And we know what great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose and plan. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many believers. And those whom he predestined, he called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. And so we see now the second person of the Trinity, God himself, has, is working all things together for a plan that he has in place for our good, for our restoration back to him. And he says, for those that I've called or that I've predestined, I've called... And those that I've called, I've justified, which he just means he's declared us free from guilt and sin. And those he's justified, he also glorified, which the translation is raising them back to heavenly dignity. So he no longer, or not only wants to um, declare us free from guilt, uh, from the guilt of sin, but he wants to restore our heavenly dignity. And he wants to restore us to our proper place and positioning with him in heavenly places. So let's move on to verse 31. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who does not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who, it is God who justifies us. Who is the one who condemns us? Jesus Christ, the one who died to pay our penalty, and more than that, who was raised from the dead and who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall ever separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And so we see now that the third person of the Trinity is, is also fighting on our behalf. Jesus Christ himself has not only died and been resurrected to pay the penalty of our sins so that we don't have to do it, but now he sits at the right hand of God and he intercedes that nothing would separate us from his love. We have every person in the Trinity right now fighting for us and fighting for our restoration, that our hearts would be fully engaged with him. And I want to suggest that, he, that, that in the process of this, they have a divine plan for each one of us. But Paul goes on even further and he gives us, <laughs> my interpretation, he gives us something that we can also do in this. If we have the Trinity praying and interceding on our behalf and um, that God's will and plan and his love would be made manifest in our lives, then what is it that we're to do? In verse 37, it says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when Paul says, and yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors, I used to think that meant that we just um, sit back and it's our birthright to overcome, which I believe that's true. But if he says that we are more than conquerors, it seems to me that we have to be actively attempting to conquer something in order to be conquerors. And so I feel like today there's an invitation to partner with the Lord to overcome Anything that would stand between us and the perfect love of God. And just kind of as Jared was talking today, I just kind of felt like a fit that we're, you know, to change our mindset, to not sit back and wait for something to happen, even if it is a promise to God, but actively pursue him and be obedient to the things that he calls us to do to see those things happen in our lives. Because I feel like God is not surprised by our circumstances, by our choices, or by the work of the enemy in our lives to attempt to separate us from his love. Like there is never a moment when he's like, wow, I didn't think that would happen. You know, he's like completely prepared in all seasons for every occasion that we would be restored to him. And he makes us a couple of more promises that I want to read. Because I just think it's helpful to remember who he is. Yeah. Psalm 34, 17 and 18. It says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from their distress and troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And again, I just want to point out that this is who God is. When we cry out for help, he rescues us. When we are heartbroken, he is near us. When our hearts are so broken, we think, how could we possibly ever be restored and reengaged to your heart? He's, he comes closer than we've ever experienced. And he saved the, saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isaiah 61, again, this is who God is. It says um, in chapters 7 and 8, or in verses 7 and 8, instead of your former shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, your people will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, in the land they will possess double what they have forfeited, and everlasting joy will be theirs. So again, this is who God is. This is not something that we have to question. Will this happen? Can this happen? How will this happen? Like, this is the God that we serve, and this is the plan that he has for those who love him, which is all of us. He desires to give us a double portion, and instead of humiliation, he desires to give us joy. So when um, I was in the fourth grade, it's a long time ago, when I was nine years old, I have this memory of me figuratively gathering up something really valuable. Like something is, it was like in my nine-year-old little heart, I had discovered who I was and I was so proud of it. Like I knew I knew something about myself and I was so excited to share it. And I'd like packaged it up and bundled it up. And I was so proud of it. And I, of course, went to share it with someone that I really loved and valued. And, and I, I go and I take it to them and I'm like, look at this amazing thing. And in my, my little fourth grade mind, I interpreted to, I interpreted them of totally and utterly rejecting this thing. This like most precious thing to me, I perceived them as, as telling me that it had absolutely no value and in fact was completely ridiculous. And I have this memory, I mean, since I was nine years old, I have a couple, and, and I don't remember the exact exchange and all that, but I just remember a couple of things. I remember the, the just profound disappointment that I had when I went to offer this thing and it was rejected. I mean, just like profound disappointment disappointment. And I, and I remember being speechless, like being so dumbfounded by the rejection. And then I remember, and I've remembered this for years, the person I was talking to was standing in front of a refrigerator and at the end of our short exchange, they slammed the freezer door shut. And for years and years, I can recall this deep sense of disappointment being speechless and seeing this freezer door slam shut. And I've known that it was an important part of my life. Like I've known and I could see over the years that like something was different before that fourth grade memory and after. And I've known because of just the, just the, the way that I remember it and experience it when I think of it, I know it's important. But for years and years and years, I have not been able to figure out what happened in that moment. I can't figure, I couldn't figure it out. Like I knew it was important and I've tried different things on like, was it this, was it this, did it mean this? And it just never really fit. Until this year, (laughs) 29 years later. And back in February, um, I had just um, uh, finished a fast. And I was here. Uh, on Sunday morning, and after worship, Jess, which I wish she was here, um, came up to me and gave me a prophetic word. And she said to me, um, "I feel like, or I feel, I see, uh, I feel like the Lord sees this like uh, thin layer of ice on your heart." And, um, I I feel like over the course of the next year, he's going to answer your prayers and slowly thaw that out. And it's going to be like a slow burn. And so in that moment, like, I mean, I, I, I felt like it was from God, but I had no, um, no context for how to interpret it and certainly didn't know how to apply it. And so I just received it. And as I do with other words like that, that I don't really know what to do with in the moment, I just kind of sat it on the shelf. Like, thanks, Lord. I don't know what to do with this, but thank you. And so just a couple of days later, I am finishing up a 21-day Bible study. And the person leading the Bible study says, um, prophesies over the entire group and says, I feel like the things that the Lord has unpacked for you in this past 21 days, you're going to see unfold even more and more over your life over the next year. And it's going to be like a slow burn. And so when he says, or when she says that, I realize, okay, Lord, you're doing something. I don't know what it is, but I know you're in it, and I know this is you. And so fast forward six months later, um, in October, this past, last month, and Hank is... Uh, Preaching to us. And he, um, gives this illustration that sometimes the enemy like shoots arrows at our hearts. And on those arrows, there are words or phrases written sometimes. And I didn't even get to come to church that day, but I was homesick with uh, Ruby, but I was listening to it. And as I heard him say that the Lord took me back to that fourth grade memory. And I realized that the phrase that was written on that arrow in that moment was, I will never let anyone see this side of me again. This little, this side of me that I had, that I had, that had believed to be so important and profound and, and just uh, who I was, that was rejected in that moment. <laughs> I said, I will never let anyone see that side of me again. And in fact, I rejected it as much as the person who I shared it with did. And I, the Lord showed me in that moment that I actually ripped myself down the middle and I tossed away that day and in, or attempted to toss away that day an entire half of who I was as just utterly worthless and invaluable. And not only that, but an embarrassment and something to be ashamed of. The only thing is, is that you know when God creates us, we can't actually throw away a whole half of ourselves, even if we try. And so, over the course of the last, or you know, the last 29 years, even though I've attempted to hide this part of me, it would always seep out, and it just, and, you know, inevitably. And when it did, I would be so embarrassed and so humiliated, and just want to hide. And um, back to getting hit by a car and feeling so embarrassed and ashamed, I think just that heightened sense of you know um, anxiety and, and emotion um, that comes with getting hit by a car just made that feeling manifest itself even greater in my life. But the reality is is that I would experience that many years before and many years after, maybe not as pronounced and so I'm sitting with the Lord in this, you know, just kind of you know, walking through it with him, you know, like, gosh, Lord, like what, you know, just kind of replaying my life and seeing what all this has meant or how this has impacted me over the last 29 years. And when I was sitting with him one day, I realized that in my, in my vision, I had always seen this freezer door slam. And in my mind, I had always interpreted that as the finalization of something. The ending of something important in my life. But the Lord showed me that that day, when I had ripped, out, ripped in part an entire half of myself and tossed it aside to never think of or speak of again, he actually, in his sovereignty, just scooped up... <laughs> that half of my fourth grade little self. And he actually placed it in that freezer to have it perfectly preserved for me over the last 29 years. So the thing that I thought I was getting rid of, he actually put on ice for me until I was ready to receive it again. And so... Going back, and he actually started this process back in February with those two prophetic words. He started the process of pulling my little fourth grade self out, half of me, <laughs> thawing it out. And over the course of the last six months, it had begun the, he had begun the process of that slow burn. So that by the time October came, and I heard that, um, that, that teaching of Hank's, and the Lord showed me what had happened, I would be perfectly ready to be put back together. And I saw that in my mind's eye. I saw him for the first time in 29 years just put me so perfectly back together as one whole that he had always created and had always intended for me to be. And he just stitched it right up. And it was like nothing had ever, like I would not even missed a beat. <laughs> And I don't know that if I if if said this earlier, but these things, that, the things that Moses experienced in God's sovereign plan for his life of using the very thing that was meant to destroy him as the thing that he would use for his restoration... This thing, like the um, picture of the freezer door that was slamming, that in all my years, I believe, was the finalization or the ending of something was the very thing that the Lord used to restore me back to himself. This is not unique to Moses, and it's not unique to me. I believe that this is God's plan, <laughs> for our lives, that we would be perfectly restored to us. And he oftentimes will use the very thing that the enemy meant to separate us permanently from him or to throw us off the course that God has for us. And God will use that very thing and his sovereignty and his com- creativity to restore us back to him. And, you know, I've never stopped, and I hope that I never am, so that I never do stop, being completely in awe and amazed at who he is and how much he adores us. Like there is no end to the the lengths that he will go to for us, to have us fully and perfectly restored to him. And as I was uh, preparing this, like I felt like for some of us, there's like an extra step we may need to go. Like most of us in this room, I, I think, have um, gone through the process of salvation. Like we have, um, we have asked Jesus into our hearts. We have declared that he is the son of God, that he died for our sins, and he is the only path to the father. And I think for many of us, and especially over the last few weeks, like the sermons that we've been listening to, we may have even had some, um, some really deep wounds healed because he is so good at that. But for some of us, I thought there may be a place for us, an invitation for us to re-engage that part of us that's been healed, but has been inactive for a really long time. And I had this picture of like a, um, a broken leg. You know, when you break your leg, like you, you get, you, it's reset, you, you get surgery, you have a cast on, it's healed, but then you at some point have to re-engage it and learn to walk on it again. And so I felt like for some of us, that was what would the Lord wanted to do today was to help us re-engage that part of us that's been healed, but has been inactive for quite a while. And I thought, I I felt like the way that he was inviting us to do that was to get alone with him. There was just something about, and I know we talk a lot about, and we should, community and you know being with each other, you know wise counsel, iron sharpens iron. Those are all very good things and cannot be understated. But for this, I felt like there was something about getting alone with God, just you and just Him, and letting Him restore your heart to His, to re-engage your heart to His. Almost like if He were holding your face, sitting right in front of you. And saying, I love you, you're worth it you're everything I ever wanted. You can trust me with your heart. and the final verse I want to read is um, from Colossians four verse two, in the turning or, or the um passion translation colossians four verse two it says Be faithful to pray as intercessors who are fully alert and giving thanks to God. And I thought that in this place of getting alone with God God, to re engage our heart with His, that we were being called to faithfully pray as intercessors for ourselves. You know, just as I um, talked about in Romans 8, you know, uh, that we are more than conquerors. And in order to be conquerors, we have to be actively conquering something. I thought being faithful intercessors for ourselves in this place would be a good place to start. And the rest of the verse says, um, being alert. So not going in there and just haphazardly throwing up prayers that we hope that God will hear or, um, you know, that we just know that out of just sheer obedience that we will do it. Although there is a place for that in our, in our faith life. I understand that I've been there, but I feel like being fully alert as we intercede for ourselves and being expectant that when we ask, he will answer that when we fight for ourselves, we are just coming alongside him and doing what he himself is already in the, doing. And then finally, giving thanks to God. You know, this song that we sang at the end about Thanksgiving, I mean, I don't think there's any greater highway to his heart than Thanksgiving. There is nothing that can draw us closer to him than to have a thankful heart and thank him for who he is, for what he's done, for what he's doing, and what he will continue to do in our lives. And so I just want to encourage you today to go after that thing. And even if you don't know what it is that is possibly separating you from the love of God, even, I mean, if you know it great, but even if you don't know it, I want to encourage you get alone with God and intercede for yourself and trust him that he is already working on your behalf that he has already set in motion a plan from the moment that something happened to you or you made a choice yourself that caused, you know, there's something that becomes something to that came between you and God. The moment that happened and even before he was already setting a plan in motion. And there's a good possibility that he will use that very thing that was meant to separate or destroy you as a thing that he will use to restore you back to himself. I'm just gonna invite Hank up. Thank you all so much.
2: No, it's so good. It really is. I just I'm always baffled. I'm married to her, but yet the the relational understanding of connection with God actually has. I, when I when we um <laughs> uh b- well before I ever met Ashley um uh, I don't know young men well, a lot of times will have the uh, Uh, they'll create a list of what the requirements are for a wife or, you know, vice versa, or, you know, like they have this like 10, you know, and then someone once told me, uh, you know, like just be, be wowed about the way they love Jesus. I was like, okay, cool. That's a cool. I don't need a list. I just, just be wowed. And then in our dating life, (laughs) that was it. I'd like probably 20 times. I'm like, like I said, like verbally out loud. Wow. Wow. And so that's, that's I, every single time I, I get to say wow uh, to my wife. And um, the, I love the, the call just to engage your heart with the Lord. Um, and um, I've, I, I don't know, I've, I, I kind of live by the, uh, the, the mentality of um, how do you learn to do something? Well, just start doing it. <laughs> just, just do it, and then, then you begin to learn through it. Like, how do I pray? I don't just start, just start praying a lot. Yeah, just start doing that more. And uh, and so, if, if you're if you're listening to Ashley, and you're like you're, you you have this, the faith is arising, as Mandy says about. Uh, uh, and what do I do? Well, just do <laughs> whatever it is on your heart. Uh, meet with the Lord. Actually, like. Just, Plan tomorrow morning, this afternoon, you know, whatever, tomorrow morning or something like that. Just like, I'm going to meet with the Lord and I'm going to sit there and wait. And, and this um, plan the Lord has for you um, is there. It's, act- it's, it's, it's there. It, it's happening. And what we do is we just wait upon the Lord and watch him and be thankful. You know, I, I would encourage you guys, don't say anything except for thank you, Holy Spirit. Like talk with the Holy Spirit inside of you and be thank Thank you. For ten minutes before you even actually start saying anything or praying anything, Um, or like say thank you, and then listen for another thirty minutes, and then I don't whatever you know just engage your heart in the Lord. And and uh, the the um, the thought that popped in my mind was, you know, when Jesus says to the man, you know, who was lowered through the ceiling pick up your mat and walk. And, um, it kind of goes along with what was said earlier, the covenant, uh, do the prophetic act. And then as Ashley's talking to well too, is, is, is the dude picked up his mat, rolled it up. That's what I saw him was rolling it up. And then walking out of the house, stopping for a second. This is my mind now. This is not biblical. I'm sure it probably happened though. He took that mat and threw it away. <laughs> just like, just found like a dumpster, found a trash can, just, boom, and walked out. And, um, I I want th- like throw away the old, <laughs> throw, you know, like engage, like you know, just engage with what the Lord is doing now. Put faith into what He's going to do now. And so, Jesus, I release that Lord of faith to walk out the healing process, the the plan of action that You're doing, Lord. That I pray for the faith to partner with You, even if we're in the middle of it, Lord. And we're we there's more years to come in our process that even if we're in the middle of it, give us faith, Lord, to walk it out, walk out our healing, to do it, Lord. I just release that in Jesus' name over everybody in this room.